In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. The Lord Jesus visited the earth in power and humility in order to teach men to love God and men. Men are powerless in themselves. Love for God fills them with power. Men are proud in themselves. Love for mankind fills them with humility. Love for man comes from love for God. Humility comes from a sense of divine power. All love for men without love for God is false. And all other power but that of God is proud and powerless. But men have chose a third thing. That is love for neither God nor love for men. They have chosen self-love. And this is a barrier that separates them from God and from men leaving them completely isolated. Loving only himself, a man loves neither God nor his fellow men. He does not even love the man that is in himself. He loves only his thoughts about himself, his illusions about himself. Were he to love the man in himself, he would at the same time love God's image in him and would quickly become a lover of God and man. For he would be seeing man and God in other men as objects of his love. Self-love is not love, but is rejection of God and contempt for men, whether open or concealed. Self-love is not love but sickness, a serious illness that inevitably produces fever throughout the body, So self-love produces the fire of envy of those who are better than he is or richer or more learned or more respected by men. With envy, there always goes anger like a flame with fire, a concealed anger that flares out at times and in so doing reveals all the ugliness of man's sick heart that has been poisoned with the poison of self-love. This is the way that St. Nikolai Velimirovich begins his uh, homily, commenting on today's gospel reading. And why, why does he talk about this terror of self-love? Well, because in today's gospel reading, there's someone, a child of God, he says, a daughter of Abraham, one of Abraham's offspring who was incredibly uncomfortable. If you read the commentaries, it says like she had something like an extreme form of scoliosis, like bent over, folded in half, basically folded in half so that her, her face would almost be like on her stomach, folded in on herself. And he... Christ, or the gospel says she had a spirit of infirmity. So there was a spiritual element to it. 
So this woman was in a pitiable estate. A terrible, pitiable, very sad estate. And Christ, whom we call the philanthropos. You know that word philanthropy? Well, the true philanthropos, lover of men, is our Savior. The true philanthrope. Call him philanthropos in many of the hymns and things. You hear, O lover of mankind. We heard that today, this morning. This philanthropos. And in his selfless love and in his desire to express the value, the inherent goodness, the inner reality of that person's identity. As St. Nikolai said, to reveal the person within, not just the illusion of what we think we are, but who we truly are. He calls her forth from her infirmity. And can you believe it? Even on a Sabbath day, uh uh-oh, he calls her forth from her infirmity and tells her to stand up. You are freed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands upon her. Immediately she was made straight and she praised God. And it's interesting that he talks about envy, St. Nikolai, because one of the marks of envy, if you recall, is one of the marks of envy is mourning when other people succeed. Celebrating the failure of other people and mourning or sorrowing at the success of other people. And of course, Christ was going around seemingly successful in everything that he did. People were loving him everywhere he went, you know. People were confused as well. They were trying to figure out what's going on here because the Pharisees were trying to get him. But nonetheless, the philanthropos reaches out, touches this woman reveals that she is worthy, that she's worthy of love. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask myself and us deeply is when we encounter people, especially people who are severely broken, people who are in an obvious state of infirmity, are we willing even as believers in the lover of mankind to believe that this person that I'm looking at is loved by the lover of mankind and even worthy of love? Or do we treat that person that we've encountered as if their circumstance, their victimhood is a result of their own decisions and therefore they're getting what they deserve? Well, that's not how Jesus teaches, I mean, treats people oftentimes. Well, he does as he will. He gives the healing therapy, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Like he said, he tells those who are in a different kind of infirmity how to be healed from it. And then he reaches out to those who are in oppression and releases them, looses the bond of infirmity as he will. Each one he does is a free, totally humble lover of those who he's encountering. So what is our response when we encounter someone who's deeply fallen into sin? This is one of the questions that I want to resonate within our hearts and minds this week. And first of all, what's the criterion or the criteria by which we determine whether or not someone has fallen into sin? Usually 
It's our <laughs> automatic judgment of them or our criticism of them. We think that they're getting what they're des- they deserve or we disagree with what they're doing. But what's our response? A lot of times it is judgment of them. What do we honestly and truly think about them? A lot of times, especially if you see someone who is mangled, you know, it's, you don't want to fixate, so you look away. You don't know what to do. And it's because we don't yet know how to love those who are in obviously extreme pain. Those kinds of circumstances. How do you see someone whose life is seriously twisted and contorted as a result of the decisions that they've made? Again, a lot of times I think we jump to the conclusion that they're getting what they deserve and we leave it at that and we go on living our happy lives. What about a murderer? I don't know if you've ever met a murderer. I wonder what kind of thought that would provoke in you or I to sit down and talk with someone that you know had actually taken the life of another human being. Your imagination, would it run wild? Would you wonder how it happened, what it looked like? Would you start fearing for your own life sitting in front of that person? What would happen? I don't know. People who are in prison ministry know. And I don't know if you saw the letter that I sent out, but I sent it to the parish council and I sent it out via the e-news. But people tell me that the e-news is another, even though this is it, I got a little irony here. For those of you who are addicted to the endless scroll, you definitely don't like to scroll to the bottom of the e-news. Hmm. Interesting. But I included something in the e-news that came, a letter written as a result of a, we, we support Orthodox Christian prison ministry. And I wanted to read, for those of you who have not read it or who have, but just need, maybe need to hear it again, a letter written by someone who is serving a, a life sentence. It goes like this. Dear brothers and sisters, my name is Andre Belli. I was 21 when I came to the United States alone from then Soviet Ukraine, hoping to build a new life. I was 24 when I started using drugs, committed murder, and was sentenced to life without parole in prison. I am now so, I am now 50. 50, 21, so he's 50 now. It took me some time to adjust to life in maximum security prisons with all their violence and restrictive conditions. One thing that kept weighing on me, in addition to guilt and shame, was how alone I was. The proverbial Stranger in a strange land. I have some friends and family back in Ukraine. And I got along well with my neighbors, but there was an emptiness inside that I couldn't quite fill. About 10 years ago, a friend recommended that I get in touch with Orthodox Christian Prison Ministry. Without exaggeration, that changed my life. I discovered the beautiful depth of our faith and patristic writings I learned from the correspondence courses that OCPM offered. I received priceless gifts of books, among them the study Bible, which now looks like it's been studied a lot over the years. And then there are postcards with awesome views of beauty of the Lord's creation. Some of them inspired me to paint. Others gave me a good chuckle. I'm grateful for the kind and personal letters and, of course, the prayers for me and my loved ones. 
I am not alone. Through the patient and compassionate presence of the Christian ministry in my life, I feel the presence of the church and the light of the Lord that shines even on this sinner. The ministry has helped me to find peace and purpose. I will never get out of prison, but I know I can live a life of peace and compassion no matter where I am. I can serve others. I can share the light. I very much hope you will never know um, how much my friends, I, I very much hope you will never know how much my friends, oh, you, you may never know how much my friends at the Orthodox Christian prison ministry mean to me and people like me. Take my word, it means the world. From Andre. You may recall that many doubted and questioned the repentance of St. Moses, our, our own St. Moses, of whom we have a relic, who was, because he had been so thoroughly and ever, even expertly corrupt. You may recall that some shuddered when they heard the name of that Christ-murdering man named Saul, who had supposedly converted to Christianity, but in both cases, the repentance was true, and it was sincere, it was real, and it was beautiful. And now we laud St. Moses as a model of repentance, and we have that murderer, Saul, as the patron of our holy community. We call him the Holy Apostle Paul now. We don't refer to him as that murderer, but the apostle to the nations, and even I'm on a little Greek kick today, I guess. Stoma Christou, the mouth of Christ, he's called. In the, as a teacher of the teaching of Christ. The mouth of Christ. What about a man named Andre, who could be called a drug addict and a murderer himself? We now call him our brother in Christ and our co-struggler on the path to salvation. We heard the following in today's epistle reading. As many as you who are baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You could say, you know, those who are in prison and those who are not. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's true that it is the sick who need a physician and not those who are well. But for us, the first illness, the first monstrosity, so to speak, that we need to come to see is our own illness. How often like the Pharisees, and this is what happened in today's gospel reading, Jesus came into conflict once again with the Pharisees who would not ex accept the idea of a unconditional love and forgiveness that even transcended the rules. So how often like the Pharisees do we depersonalize and dehumanize others? We humanize our pets, yet we demonize those who have been created in the image of God. We need to think about that. It's true that we've seen the unfulfilled potential in others, and we become frustrated by what we see as self-inflicted harm in the lives of those around us. But what is the way of the saints? What is the way of Christ, and what is the way of the saints? 
with regard to sin and illness. This is what St. Ephraim has to say. And if you've been to confession with me in the last couple months, you've probably heard this quote. St. Ephraim, in this regard, says, Attend to yourself and guard yourself intently, for we are not justified or condemned by the deeds of others. We're not justified or condemned by the deeds of others, says St. Ephraim. And in our lives, we're often looking for a scapegoat. I hear it even. A lot of people are out today. We've got a thin crowd. A lot, of people are, a lot of people are sick. And I hear over and over again, oh, I think I got it from... I think I got it from... I got it. Just How about I just... I got it. You don't need a scapegoat. I mean, unless you're around someone who's like sneezing on you and licking you, and then you tell them, let's not do that next time. But you don't need to even, you don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. We don't need a scapegoat. We do need to learn to attend to ourselves. Remember what our patron and protector, St. Paul, said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And we, each and every one of us say that, hopefully as we're preparing for Holy Communion, we'll say it together. And this awareness, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He came into the world to save me because of me, and to save you because of the sins that you've committed. I was reflecting on this during Orthros again this morning, listening to the hymns of Orthros. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Someone said, if you went to Orthros throughout the year, you get the same education as if you went to seminary for three years. Because it's so rich, it's so full of theological teaching. But I was thinking, what a shame. What a shame that we created this condition in which God had to come down and pull us out of it. How sad it is, isn't it? But then I thought, as a result of our sin and of our free separation from God, once again, He willfully came down in order to manifest His love, which is either even greater than sin and even greater than death itself. And so that tragedy that we would even claim as our own power is like St. Nicholas said, powerlessness. Because sin and death are even powerless in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a shame that I have sinned and that I continue to sin. But... Am I making myself, am I humbling myself in a way that sin can't even humble me? Before the lover of mankind, am I humbling myself enough to be loved and elevated by the philanthropos rather than defined by anything else in my life? What a tragedy it is, but what a miracle it is. Because the Lord didn't just cut us off, but He gave us the opportunity to become His children, to become what we were created to be. He could have left us. When I think of the woman bent over, I think about us with our cell phones all day, hunched over, staring down, looking in at ourselves, failing to see one another. You know, we need. there's so many lessons here in today's Gospel reading. And we, we need to lear, learn to stand up we need to learn to look up, 
To look up is to see the other, and to see the other is deeply, essentially connected with the encounter of God, the encounter that we have with God. You can only love others when you love God. You can only love God when you willfully love your neighbor. And you can only receive the love of God and love your neighbor when you realize that you've been loved despite your sin. And it humbles you before him. And you can even say meaningfully and authentically, I'm the chief. This awareness is what grants us susceptibility to to salvation. And it's what allows us to encounter a murderer without losing hope. It allows us to encounter a drug addict without totally despising him. Even to encounter a pessimist or a cynic without hating him in return. Maybe this person is the person that I see in the mirror. Maybe this is why I struggle when I see the self-inflicted pain of others, because I so often inflict my own pain. Hear what St. Nicholas says, one more little word. He says, harshness of people toward the monstrous. And he's saying this woman was looked at like a monstrosity. Harshness of people toward the monstrous is indeed no less monstrous than monstrosity itself. Harshness toward others is a monstrosity. But this monstrosity is one that can be healed and that can receive the touch of Christ through confession, through prayer drawing near to our Savior, through a change of heart by way of actively loving others and by radically refusing to see others as monsters, no matter how terrible they seem to be. I'm quoting scripture today. Today I want to finish by reading a little section from Romans 12. Again, written by our patron, the Holy Apostle Paul. He says this, Our calling is to love, you know that. But not love according to our own rules or on our own terms. And so he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, selflessness. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's the cure to envy, learning to rejoice with those who rejoice and to actually genuinely weep with longing for healing and salvation with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. You're not better than you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. I mean, I mean, we're, we do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Set it aside, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. 
for in so doing you will keep coals of fire upon his head. Do not become overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved in Christ, this is the Christian life, and this is our manner, and this is our calling. I encourage you to open up the chapter 12 of the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans and give it some time this week. It's very beautiful. It sets really the path of the Christian life and ministry out for us. But this is our life. This should be our manner. This is our calling. And if we so desire, this humble love is that is the way of the saints can become real and true in our lives. Not just something exceptional, but normal in our lives. In yours and in mine. And I pray that this kind of love, this not an ivory tower of Christian intellectualism, but a humble love like the philanthropos has for all of his creation. I pray that this is what would come to define the life of this little holy community. Through the intercessions of the holy apostle Paul and of all the saints, may it become, may it happen, may it be done, that God may be glorified in our lives always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.